Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Well, good morning. Hey, um, if you're joining us for the first time today, we started a new series last week entitled Breaking Bad, The Consequences of Sin. And we actually have started in Genesis chapter 2 before sin even enters the world. So the consequences of sin are not known as a reality until we get to Genesis 3. But today, we're going to continue in Genesis 2, and we're going to look at specifically the not goodness of God's creation. What do I mean by that? What do I mean is that before sin entered the world, there was a time when God said, it is not good. And we're going to look at that today. As, uh, as his UCLA football team suffered through a poor season in the early 1970s, head coach Pepper Rogers, anybody know who that is? No? <laughs> couple of you do. Thanks for remembering. I'm sure he would appreciate that. Pepper Rogers came under intense criticism and scrutiny. And uh, friends, fr- by, by alumni and fans, and the reason he did is because uh, he wasn't winning games, okay? Things got so bad, he remembers that friends became hard to find during that season of life. Nobody wanted to associate with him, or at least publicly. He says, my dog was my only true friend during that season of life. And he says, I told my wife that every man needs at least two good friends, so she bought me another dog. (laughs) There's no amen on that one? Amen. (laughs) All right. Loneliness has become all too commonplace in our society. Isn't it interesting? In a world where we have so many public opportunities to interface, the world population is at its highest it's ever been, and yet loneliness has been on an epidemic rise over the decades, not just in our culture but across the globe. We could say it's due to technological devices and those things, and there is something to that. But those are, what, what, is, what is the term, what do we call it? Social media, right? Social media infers that we are socially connecting with one another. But if that's the case, and you, even in third world countries now, they have smart devices and are connected on social media, then why are we more lonely now than we ever have been? (laughs) Because of social media, possibly. It is a very alienating place on social media. People try to take breaks from social media because it's just full of stuff that you don't want to read, or full of pressure, or full of uh, bars set, so to speak, that you could never achieve or it's full of hatred and divisiveness. It's not good, is it? And it's not good to be alone even today. 
I want to look at a time when that first became the instance. In Genesis 2, we'll start at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to man to see what he would call them. And the man, called, man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, the wild animals, but there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. Now I want you to notice something that changes here from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2. Genesis 1, we get the creation of all the days of creation, the creation of man and woman. But in Genesis 2, we get more of a microscopic view, a close-up view of this creation, more specifically of the creation of humankind. Now we can debate the context and the differences between the two scholars have debated Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 over and over and over till they beat it into the ground. Let's not beat it into the ground today. Let's just look at it for what it's worth. Genesis 2, it goes from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2 where we have in the beginning God created. But then we get to Genesis 2. Do you notice the shift in the terms that God is called by? The Lord God. Now we have Elohim from the first one. Now we have Yahweh Elohim shifting into the second one. Why is that significant? It's significant because it's a honing and a focusing even close up on who this God really is and why he is creating anything in the first place. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord took one of man's ribs. Now there's an asterisk right there where it says ribs. It, he took flesh and bone from the side of man, okay? The only bone we know to be inside of a man or any creature for that matter, human-wise, is from the rib. Do women have, do men have one less rib than women? No, they don't. Suffice it to say, God caused man to fall into a deep sleep and he replaced what he took from the man so the woman could be made of the same substance. When he took out one of the man's ribs, he closed up the opening. It's the first surgical procedure from the great physician. Then the Lord God made the woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, man exclaimed, this is now bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Let's pause there for a second. He did not name her in this instance. He categorized her as one who was like him. Ish is the Hebrew word for man. Isha is the Hebrew name for woman. He is basically giving her the same categorization as he is. He's exclaiming, she is like me but different, okay? When do we get Eve actually getting the name of Eve? Anybody have a guess? At the end of Genesis chapter 3, after sin had entered the world, then he names her. That is significant, but for a different time. 
She will be called woman because she was taken from man. She will be called Isha because she was taken from Ish. This explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Here's the point. A lack of community is not good. A lack of community is not good. Now, how do we unpack that today? Where do we go with all of this? I could go a million different directions with this. Here's where I want to go. Let's look at the first thing that we notice in this narrative. The problem is aloneness. Now, was Adam really alone? He had God. Isn't God all that we need? I've heard this. God is all I need. He is all I need. You remember that hymn we used to sing? He is all I need. But the problem is God said it's not good for man to be alone. So God even said we needed someone else. Now, that doesn't mean we need another God. Do you understand that? See, the, the misperception is because of our fallen nature, we tend to put our spouses or our children or our bosses, you probably don't put your boss there, or other people in the position that is only reserved for God in your life. That's what happened at the fall. But God said it wasn't good for man to be alone, so what did he do? He put Adam into a deep sleep, Adam being the first man into a deep sleep, and he created from the same substance, woman. Loneliness is a problem. Biblical scholar and author David Atkinson writes, personal communion is what the image of God is all about. God exists as three persons in one essence, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is fully complete as three in one. Call this the Trinity, right? He is one in essence. He is God, Yahweh, but Yahweh comprised of three persons. This is why the symbolic nature of man being joined to woman is so significant. Why? Because it is a model of that same unity in the Godhead. The two become one. You say, well, where's the third person of that union? God is the third person in that union that makes it complete and whole. The problem is aloneness. He goes on to write, Atkinson does, the sense of isolation, the sense of isolation and of alienation of so much contemporary society where families are often defined only by their sharing the same roof and the television and devices in their house while each pursues his or her detached and separate life, served to underline this Genesis text. It is not good to be alone. Have you ever been in a house full of people and you feel alone? Have you ever been to a banquet, a party, a gathering, and you feel alone? Have you ever been in a marriage and you feel alone? or your group of friends who are supposed to be your friends and yet you feel alone. The problem with aloneness was such a problem at the beginning of creation that God had a plan to fix it by creating a counterpart or a companion. 
We have this problem of loneliness. I, I was reading and researching this week on the epidemic of loneliness. Okay, that's the term. I made up the aloneness word to fit the, can- the context of it's not good for man to be alone. So loneliness is the actual word, but I'm still going to use the wrong word today, aloneness. But a study was done over... Several studies have been done on the epidemic of aloneness or loneliness in our culture. And I want you to hear some of the research that came from this. It's entitled, Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation. And it's written in 2023. It was written by the Surgeon General of the United States. So listen up. A a synthesis of data across 16 independent longitudinal studies shows poor social relationships were associated with 29% increase in the risk of heart disease and 32% increase in the risk of stroke. So what is, what is social, uh, what, what is this social relationships, the poor social relationships, they're categorized as social isolation, poor social support, and loneliness. Interestingly, he goes on to write, these effects can begin early in life and stretch over a lifetime. Research has shown that childhood social isolation is associated with increased cardiovascular risk factors such as obesity, high blood pressure, and blood glucose levels in adulthood, meaning type 2 diabetes. This is, if you, start, if you start out isolating a child and they continue to be isolated or feel isolated, it starts early in life. People who are less socially connected, he writes, may have increased susceptibility and weaker immune system responses when they are exposed to infectious diseases. Listen to this. In a series of studies examining factors that contribute to illness after exposure to viruses like the common cold or the flu, loneliness and poor social support were found to significantly contribute to the development and severity of these illnesses. Chronic loneliness and social isolation can increase the risk of developing dementia by 50% in older adults. Even after controlling for demographics and health status. A study that followed older adults over 12 years found that cognitive abilities declined 20% faster than those who were reported who reported loneliness. A review of 63 studies included, or concluded that loneliness and social isolation among children and adolescents increase the risk of depression and anxiety, and that, is this, and that this risk remained high even up to nine years later. At the initial onset of feeling that, the after effects were up to nine years after. What does that tell you about the human species. It's not good for man or woman. When I say man, I'm using the term loosely to mean mankind, humankind, to be alone. We were created as social, communal creatures. I'm not saying to go join a commune. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that isolation and loneliness were not a part of God's original design. Do you know, in addition to individuals, large groups or communities 
Isolation has an effect on the actual community. Listen to a couple of these studies. Communities with, a higher, with higher levels of social connection typically enjoy significantly better health outcomes than communities that have lower levels of social engagement. So, uh, studies find that community-level social capital is positively associated with a reduced burden of disease and risk for all-cause mortality. Have you ever been into communities where nobody talks and nobody connects with each other? It's just me and mine and not you and yours. You ever experienced that? Nobody? Okay. I feel alone right now. <laughs> Listen to what he goes on to write. On the other hand, several reports have found that lower community social connection is linked to poorer health outcomes. This was made clear. I want you to hear this. How many of you lived through COVID? Okay, I'm going to say all of you did, except we have one little baby that was here earlier, and I, she came along after the fact. So listen to this. This was made clear when examining the spread of the COVID-19 virus. One study in the United States compared changes in the county level spread of COVID-19 against several measures of social capital. These included family structure and involvement, trust in community institutions, popularity of volunteerism, levels of participation in political discussions and voting efforts and cohesion among community members. After controlling for potential alter alternative explanatory factors, the researchers found that lower levels of social capital were associated with higher number of cases of deaths from COVID-19. Do you hear what he's saying? Let me break that down. Where there was loneliness and isolation in a community, there were higher deaths associated with COVID-19. Where there was more connection in community and people bonding together and helping one another out, there were lower, lower levels of death in those communities. Further, counties with strong social ties, here's the other part of this, experienced fewer death during the COVID-19 pandemic. Related to an international study of COVID-19 infection and fatality rates across 177 countries also observed a statistically significant association between greater interpersonal and government trust than lower infection rates. Uh, okay. What they are basically saying they found out three years after the pandemic started is that shutting everything down, making everybody stay in their homes, isolated away from the rest of the community, actually worked against them. So, now, I, you may not agree with me on that. You don't have to. Look it up for yourself. Then This is the government studies. Okay, the ones that told us we had to shut down, it was illegal to meet, and well, not in Pennsylvania in so many cases with the church, but across the globe. You cannot go and be with other people. They set in motion what they thought was the right thing, but ultimately ended up in being the worst thing ever because isolation contributes to poorer health and more devastating effects on the human being. Why? Why? Because it's not good for us to be alone. 
what the government is just now learning, the church has known all along, or at least it should have. From Genesis 2. And God looked and said it wasn't good because it's not good for man to be alone. So what's the, what's the solution? Well, a solution is animals. Right? I don't know. How many of you have animals? How many of you love your animals? How many of you? Actually, studies have shown that if you have a pet, it lowers your blood pressure. You have feelings that are uh, euphoric in some sense. It gets those endorphins going, unless he's chewing up your shoes or something, right? <laughs> now, cats cannot give you that same feeling as a dog, but give, I'm just kidding. I have a cat too, and that darn cat gravitates to me all the time. I think he knows. Brenda doesn't like me that much, so I'm going to jump in his lap and brrrr. And then he gets those claws going, and if I'm sitting in my shorts, he just digs the flesh out. And I digress. So God has not a solution. It should say a solution, not the solution on there, but a solution was animals. Or was it? You see, I think God knew all along the solution wasn't animals. But I think what God was wanting to do is bring the animals to Adam for two reasons. One reason is to name them. Why? Because he gave charge of all of the living creatures to mankind or humankind to govern, subdue, and care for. To have authority over. Okay? So that which he names... He governs. That which he names, he has authority over. Do you know this is why God did not give Adam the authority to name Eve? That's a different story for a different time. No, actually, later on in my third point. He brought the animals to Adam to name, but he also was teaching Adam a lesson. Not in a bad way, like, I'm going to teach you a lesson. He's wanting to teach him a positive lesson. And do you notice what Adam saw each time a group of animals came his way? He saw pairs of the same kind. Livestock, wild animals, birds of the air. They all had a mate that was similar to them. And after all the animals had been brought to Adam... Was there a suitable helper? No. God's creation of the first human, devoid of a corresponding person just like him, was the only not good part of God's creation. All other creatures were created in pairs, and they marked the problem with humankind in the creation narrative. God's solution wasn't to create another being out of the crown like he had from Adam with Adam and all the other animals, well, what does he decide to do? Did God create the woman from the dust of the ground like he did Adam? Or the animals? He created the animals from the dust of the ground. And he created the animals from the dust of the ground, male and female. He didn't put every male animal to sleep and take a piece of flesh to create another female animal. He created them all from the dust of the ground. 
And this is the one significant piece that we notice in this narrative where God does something different. Well, he does something different with Adam. We know he formed him from the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of the first human. Similarly, but different, God puts the man into a deep sleep. And he takes flesh and bone from Adam's side. And he creates a woman from the same material that he is. So that when the two were joined together, literally, because she came out of him, they become one. Do you see this? So let's move on to the solution. A solution was the animal, but the solution was the woman. Over the next few minutes, I'm going to take some time to read a rather lengthy quote because it, it gets a little bit more in-depth. The, the church and scholars have not done the greatest job at translating the word helper. We get this idea that God saw man being lonely and decided he needs an assistant. He needs someone to help him out because he can't do it on his own. That's not the point of this narrative. So read with, well, you can't read with me. Listen to me as I read from Walter Kaiser. In the Genesis story... We find that God created a woman after he had created the man. This would end Adam's loneliness and the state that God judged to not be good. She was to be his, as it's translated, helper. At least that is how most translations have interpreted the word. A sample of the translations reads, some, and I'm going to give you a sample, he's giving us a sample, from multiple different versions or translations in the English language. One says, the RSV, I shall make a helper fit for him. Another version says, I will make a fitting helper for him. Another says, I will make an aid fit for him. Another says, I will make a helpmate, M-A-T-E. Another says, they will make a suitable partner for him. And one other, the New King James Version says, I will make a helper comparable to him. However, here's, listen up, and I don't want to bore the snot out of you with this, but please hang on with me. This is extremely important. The customary translation of the two words, Ezer Kenegdu, as helper fitting him, is almost certainly wrong when it's translated that way. And let me explain. Listen up. It's actually comprised of two different words, ZR and GZR. And ZR means to rescue and to save, and GZR means to be strong. So when we read Ezer or helper in the, in the Old Testament, Ezer Kenegdu, what we find is God created a rescuer, someone to save the man from his loneliness. He created one of strength and authority just like himself. 
The noun ezer occurs 21 times in the Old Testament. In many of the passages, it's used in parallel to words that clearly denote strength or power. Let me give you some examples. The first one is from Deuteronomy 33. It reads like this. There is, no, there is none like the God of Jeshurun, the rider of the heavens in your strength, Ezer, and on the clouds in his majesty. Blessed are you, again, Deuteronomy 33, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is the shield of your strength, your ezer, and the sword of your majesty. Therefore, Kaiser goes on to suggest that we translate Genesis 2 verse 18 as, I will make a power or a strength corresponding to him. If this is so, when God makes for the man and a woman who is fully his equal and fully his match, he does so in a way to bring about a comparison of the two that actually become one when they're together. This line of reasoning which stresses full equality is continued on in Genesis 2.23 where Adam says of Eve, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. The testimony from Adam's own lips is that she is the same as me. The idiomatic sense of this phrase, bone of my bones, is, very, is this, a very close relative, or one of us, or in effect, our equal, is how it can be translated. The woman was never meant to be an assistant or a helpmate to the man. The word mate slipped into the English since it was so close to the old English meet, M-E-E-T, which means fit or corresponding to the man. That all comes from the phrase suggested, which actually means equal to. I will create a helper equal to him of the same substance. Where did the breakdown of equality between the sexes come into play? You move one chapter over and you read after they had eaten the forbidden fruit, what happens? They saw, first off, that they were naked, and they ran and hid in the bushes. They created out of fig leaves, which is a rather large leaf, clothing to temporarily cover themselves. They hid from God. They heard him coming in the, in the garden. As he's calling for them, they finally appear And the questioning ensues, as we would question our kids when they've done something wrong. Did you eat that chocolate bar? No. Well, it's all over your face. <laughs> right? No. I, no. We hid from you, God, because we were naked. Who told you you were naked? And then begins the blame game. God says to Adam, or ask Adam, who told you you were naked? Well, the woman you gave me, she, she gave me some of the fruit to eat, and I ate it. And the woman, uh, God says to the woman, is this true? Yeah, it was the serpent who deceived me, and I partook of the fruit, and I ate it. 
And so God begins to dole out the consequences and the punishments. There's only one creature in the narrative that's cursed, and it's not either of the humans. It's the serpent. But for the man and the woman, the consequences of their behavior are going to lead to some broken relationship, not only with God, but within themselves. Do you know the curse? It wasn't a curse. Do you know the punishment that came to the woman? Or the consequences of her behavior was that it, she would have increased child, uh, pain, or child pains in birth. And what else? Your desire will be, and it should be translated this way, your desire will be to control your husband. It actually says in many translations, your desire will be for your husband, but he will lord over or rule over you. God is not prescribing, all right, here's a prescription that I'm going to make a reality for you. He's saying because of the brokenness in the relationship, here's what's going to happen. Your desire will be to lord over your husband, but he will lord over you. And thus, we get this unfolding of this snowball effect of sin in the marital relationship and in the human community. We don't like to hear that. And the church is still the place where you see being advocated a lording over rather than a working together among the sexes. And we can debate this women in ministry issue all you want to, suffice it to say, we believe God has given authority to both man and woman in the perfect context of a relationship with Jesus Christ to work and function with the gift mixes that the Holy Spirit gives them to work and function within the body of Christ, regardless of what those gifts are. Sin is what broke the relationship. Aren't we supposed to live in a pre-garden experience once we receive Christ? Aren't we supposed to be reflecting as the body of Christ the way it was and the way God had intended for it to be? We could debate the passages in Timothy and Corinthians. There's a cultural context there that we have to unpack. But when God put Adam into a deep sleep because it wasn't good for him to be alone, he created a person out of the same substance to be his equal, to work beside him. I remembered in 2022, and it got me in trouble, and we lost a couple families over this, and I apologize if it's that offensive, but the reality is I don't think a dance, or excuse me, I don't think marriage is a dance. You, you often hear marriage as this dance. I read books where they equate marriage as a dance. A marriage is not a dance because somebody is always leading. Now hear me out because that sounds blasphemous because the predominant church teaching is not, is not what I'm getting ready to tell you. In that series in 2022 on marriage, my wife and I, I think Jim and Val and the Carnahans, we did a three-legged race across the stage. We started from over there and ran over that way. And a three-legged race is more akin to what God created between Adam and Eve before the fall happened. They were walking side by side, arm in arm, connected as one. One could not override the other before the fall. They were equals together. Do you know in order to run together when you were tied as one, you have to communicate? You have to sometimes concede? You can't... If I yank her along, what am I going to do? 
I'm going to trip her up. If she tries to yank me along, what's going to happen? She's going to trip me up. What does a successful marital relationship that is one look like? To where we're saying, okay, we're going to go, you go left first, I'll go right first if I'm on your left, right? So you do left, and then we'll, and again, then we'll do, and we got to pace this, but I think once we get the, once we get, you know what happens? Once, the hardest part is starting. Like when you start in a marriage, what is the hardest part of a marriage? Learning to do life together as one. Especially as you grow older, older couples who come together, they've already figured out how they like life to be. So it's a more difficult journey in this three-legged race because they're trying, no, I've been doing it this way, I've been, and we're yanking them along. And vice versa. But do you know the longer you run together, the more in sync you become? By the time we got two-thirds of the way across the stage, all of the couples had a rhythm because they were working together. Do you understand where I'm getting to? The woman was never meant to be assistant or helpmate. She was of the same substance, meant to walk alongside. Go back to Genesis 1, verse 27, or actually 26 and 27. And God said, let us make man, humans, in our own image. In the image of God, he created him, Male and female, he created them. But just before that, he says, let's create them so that they can govern all of the creatures on the face of the earth. Who was given the task to govern? Humans, male and female, together, side by side. When Christ comes onto the scene, dies and rises from the grave and empowers his church with the authority to go make disciples. It wasn't just the men. And then we get to Galatians chapter 3 and Paul says something significant. There is neither slave nor free, Jew or Gentile, male or female. You are one in Christ Jesus. I'm going to call our worship team forward to close this out today. I want to close with this story. How many of you are familiar with it? If you're not, uh, you've been hiding somewhere for a long time. This guy's been dead for a while, but does the name Sigmund Freud mean anything to you? Okay, the great psychoanalyst, right? But he was also a great atheist. Armand Nikolai, who is a uh, medical doctor and a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, he explains this about Sigmund Freud. He says, Sigmund Freud died at the age of 83, a bitter and disillusioned man. Tragically, this Viennese physician, one of the most influential thinkers of our time, had little compassion for the common person. Ironic that he was a, psycho a psychologist and psychoanalyst. He had little compassion for the common person. In one of his writings, Freud wrote in 1918, this is quote from his journals, I have found little that is good about human beings on the whole. In my experience, most of them are trash. 
no matter whether they publicly subscribe to this or that ethical doctrine or none at all. You ever thought people were trash? Have you ever thought the world is going to hell in a handbasket because there are so many corrupt and evil people? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, that we would have the love of God in our hearts. Freud died friendless. It's well known that he had broken with each of his followers and friends, and so the end, he died bitter and alone. It's a sad testimony of the reality of many people's lives today. I come across them all the time, and it breaks my heart. To die lost and alone is such a tragic epithet of the human condition. How do we get back to a sense of community again? the way that God intended and changed the course of this horrible narrative in our culture, the epidemic of loneliness. See, God provided us a way. As a matter of fact, God provided the way, the truth, and the life. The Apostle Paul explains how community is reestablished in Ephesians. I want you to hear this, and then we'll close with a prayer. Ephesians 4, verses 2 through 6, Paul writes, Always be humble, and gentle. How hard is that? Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit just as you have been called to the one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all, in all, and living through all. I don't know where you are today. I don't know how lonely you are. Maybe you're sitting in this large group of people, or maybe even sitting at home, and you're like, that is my testimony. It's a testimony of loneliness. People ask me all the time, Brandon, why do I have to come to church? You, church is not something you come to, it's something you are. Okay? I say that often. This building is not the church. If it burns down tomorrow, the church hasn't burned down. The church is the body of Christ, the hands and the feet of Christ, with multiple different spiritual gifts imbued with the authority to go and make disciples of all people. To baptize them in that one baptism and to teach them everything we know about God. The cure to loneliness is the God who provided us helpers. No who provided us equals to walk alongside of us. When we stop viewing each other as helpers and start viewing each other as equals, then we might get some sense of the word of dignity and respect and honor for one another. 
to where we can say that as a person created in the image of God, they may not know Christ yet, but I will walk alongside of them because I want them to know Christ. Do not forsake the assemblings of yourselves together. There's a great substitution now. It's called TV or the internet. But it's just that. A substitution. But it's not a great one. Because you need people with flesh on that you can interface with and connect with. Regardless of what any government official or any other group tells you, we need each other. Our altars are open this morning. You're welcome to come. Someone will pray with you. Let's pray. Lord, help us to take to heart Genesis 2, the creation of humans in your image and the creation of humans in unity together. Remind us of your initial purposes for us. Give us a sense of hope and strength as we learn to love each other just as you have loved us. Give us a sense of courage to speak the truth and love, to build up, to edify, to encourage, and when necessary, to rebuke in a sense of gentleness and humility. Help us to bear with one another each other's faults, burdens. Lord, and to journey together this narrow way called the way to the kingdom of heaven. And remind us we're not alone in this journey even if it feels like it, even if the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy has deceived us to believe that nobody knows and nobody cares and nobody feels the way that you feel, Lord, that is a lie from hell. Remind us that we are never alone if we are in you and you are in us. Forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.